are cooking with hot gas right now. This is episode 5 and part 2 of the John Wayne Daisy Festival. This is Illinois with Burden Town. This is your host. Burden is always with me, my partner in true crime. Cam, how you doing, Cam? Oh my god, I thought I was telling everyone the last episode was three, so... Whoops, starting off strong, apparently. Oh boy, say no to drugs, kids. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's like, everyone, episode three! Whoops, fuck. (laughs) My bad, guys. (laughs) Hey, happens to the best of us. So, um, we just got, we just got back from recording, uh, part one of John Wayne Gacy, and I mean, this is just... It's like you guys just heard us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you guys look, if you guys are going back to back, then I fucking salute you guys. I mean, yeah, if you guys are going back to back, you should totally become a patron or whatever and like donate money to us. That'd be fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean, like we're really trying to make it just big a suggestion. <laughs> like you know, we we wanna wanna keep doing this, and you know, this does uh, you know cost us money for us to keep doing and stuff. So I mean. <laughs> I never thought it was going to be as expensive as it is. And it's really, yeah. I thought everything was free. It's not. It, well, so. it was at first. <laughs> that's <laughs> a mistake I made. So. Yeah, it was like, well, hey, man, I guess it got real. It was like, huh, we should, we, we only had like 72 minutes remaining on our SoundCloud. And it was <laughs> like, huh, we can either do $16 a month for $128 a year. To do it oh unlimited. Or, and then if we try to go on Podbean or like Podcast Addict or shit like that, I could have been, I know the Podbean one was like, what, like a hundred something dollars a yeah. month? And I was like, hmm. So, again, we enjoy doing this. Like I said, we enjoy goofing around and bullshitting, but more importantly, we are, you know, enjoy informing you guys on like the craziest murders in this state's history. And I mean, very few, in our opinion, holds a candle to what we've been talking about lately with John Wayne Gacy. And, I mean, just, just off the last episode, uh, this was just a very, very interesting saga, how he had a very troubled childhood. Um, it seemed that, you know, despite all of that, he turned it around and had a family, had a good working job, a hard-working reputation. And in all of that, goes away with he got popped for sodomy while he was uh, a KFC franchisee in Waterloo, Iowa and it seems that he was rehabilitated uh, he he married another woman uh, ingrained that family and again seems like he has turned another corner and then next thing we know he goes on this rampage if you will uh See, this is what I find interesting about John Wayne Gacy, and it goes back to the whole nature versus uh, nurture question. Uh I've asked this in high school, it's boggled my mind ever since. But would you consider, you know, there are some people that go through similar situations Uh as Gacy did as a child, and they didn't come out doing what he did to his victims. Um is this a, it, it's hard to explain if it's a nature situation. I mean, he did not have a good childhood by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, but where does it come in where it could maybe possibly be he's just manipulative and he's yeah. always been manipulative and he's a sociopath. Like what, what's, what do we know? Yeah. I mean, cause we talked about in the last episode, 
he the 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 the, the number of acquaintances that he conjured up over the years it was either you either love the guy or you fucking hated his gut and there was no in between and just like yeah. you said, he just had this reputation of, you know, he did all this great stuff for the community. Oh boy, fucking being Krusty the Clown and all this this stuff. But like how he, you know, the, the people that couldn't stand him, they, you know, they tested that he came off as a braggart, you know. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, did, I don't know if we elaborated on the last episode, Cam. You, you know, through your sources, you, you know, you have some kind of, uh, uh, lines towards John Wayne Gacy in some kind of form, right? Yeah, I actually, you know, a lot of people look at, um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that look at murder or killing as black and white, you know? Right. You killed someone, you die, you know? A lot of people look at doing the things John Wayne Gacy did very black and white, especially because it happened to children, uh, mostly under the age of 18. Um, which makes it very worse. It's a, it's even worse because everybody hates those type of people. Yeah. But I received this message upon our um, Instagram account. This is one of my favorite messages. Um, she's very, very, very well-spoken, very smart about what she was saying. Um, should we say her name? Should we give her Instagram name? I don't know if she'd want that. Yeah, let's play it safe. But um, we, okay, I'm sure well, she's she listens cool, to she's gonna so. listen to this, so she'll she'll know what you're talking about. But uh, we did really appreciate you know her uh, really providing this insight. Yeah, and she, um, from what we've gathered, is also an individual, a Chicago native from the area, and just like many of our friends, Emily, um, she also had a experience, um, uh-huh. or somehow related to John Wayne Gacy, and uh, what. Her view is, is she views this as the whole case is tragic. Uh, she states that her sister-in-law's uncle even knew John Wayne Gacy uh, when he actually worked at Will County uh, Prison System in Illinois. Um, what she stated was uh, he was very much like an overgrown child in the brain, according to her. Um, this individual who messaged us actually um, talks about how she feels bad about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where I really come in with the nature versus nurture. Is it, is, is she correct? Is he really a child in the brain? Or from what we've picked up, he was actually smart and manipulated. Yeah. So it's very intriguing to know, to see both sides of it, you know? Very, very true. And I mean, uh, a case like this, uh, with all the facts, you know, uh, considered, it's just we don't know what makes these guys tick. And that said, it, it leaves a lot to a perception of why did he do the things that he do and and how did it get to this way, you know? Yeah, and um, should I should I read the whole conversation or should we like wait we'll for do, some of it at the end? Yeah, we'll wait for it at the end. I mean, um, if you feel the need to do it, like we can just do an excerpt on it, but um, yeah. yeah. Because she's got, it's a great, you know, she's got a great um, aspect of it, think, yeah. you know, Speaking about how John has underlying issues, which is noted due to his, you know, childhood. And, um, you know, some people, like we were saying earlier, knew him really well and knew that he was a good guy. Um, Some people thought otherwise. Um, But 
back in the 70s, he might have had um, some mental health issues, right? Yeah. Maybe he was homosexual. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was bisexual. Maybe he wasn't. But back then, it's very hard to go to get treatment mm-hmm. for that without look, being put into like a psych ward. Yeah, uh, or even worse, getting like a gay conversion and those things. Yeah, exactly. It was um, like American Horror Story. If you were a homosexual, you had a mental disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, if you masturbated too much, you had a mental disorder. Yeah. So be careful, Birdman. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, that said, uh, well, we just killed my whole master plan. No pun intended. That said, uh, Afterwards, folks. Boy, that context, context. Um, and that said, you ready to do the damn thing? No, no. Are you ready to do the, the fucking thing. thing? There we go. There we go. And that said, let's do the damn thing. The fucking thing. Not actually the, the fucking, fucking thing because that 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 be called cheating, and I like Adam. Adam is a friend of the <laughs> podcast. Hi, Adam. He's he's got his headphones on. <laughs> he looks really cute though. Oh well, I, oh, he hears that. Oh. Uh-uh. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. Can't hear me. PDA. Can't hear me. Anyway, guys, so when we last picked <laughs> up from the story, Gacy was in the midst of his rampage, murdering murdering his victims at an alarming rate. Now, obviously, while this is going on, uh, he's doing all this, these things, such as being in the community and being a fucking clown on top of that, seriously, but a very important lifestyle change occurs in Gacy's life, and it's the Again? dissolution. Yeah. The dissolution of his second marriage. Now, Uh he begins spending most evenings away from home, only returning in the early hours of the morning with the excuse that he had been working late. But his wife observed Gacy bringing teenage boys into his garage, and then she also found gay pornography inside the house. And eventually they divorced by mutual consent in March 1976, under the false ground that he cheated of women. Oh, that's interesting. So, but some of the murders we'll discuss, for example, because it's just a plethora of victims. Mm-hmm. Um, and this could honestly take hours and hours and hours to unpack. Yeah. Uh, and some of these details of these cases are just breathtaking, to say the least. They're very, very detailed. Um, and the investigation is still ongoing. There, There's a lot of more um, connections they're making yeah. each and every month and each and every year with this John Wayne Gacy investigation. And this is ha- we'll this ha- it into- happened 40 years. Think about this, guys. This happened 40 years ago. And Most of your parents were alive then. Yeah. Most of your brothers were alive and sisters. Well, not me. Uh, probably might be showing my age. Mine wasn't but- yet either. <laughs> but on October 24th, 1960, or excuse me, 1976, Gacy abducted and killed two teenage, two teenage friends named Kenneth Parker and Michael Mariano. Parker and Mariano were last seen outside a restaurant on Clark Street. Both youths were strangled and buried in the same grave in his crawl space. And two days later, a 19-year-old employee of PDM contractors named William Bundy disappeared after informing his family he was to attend a party. Bundy was also strangled and buried in a crawl space, and he buried directly beneath Gacy's master bedroom. And interesting, too, that I look at this is Mm -hmm. strangulation is so much more 
personal almost. Yeah. Like, like a personal vendetta against these people. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Very, very but much so. In December 1976, another PDM employee, 17-year-old Gregory Godzik, disappeared. He was last seen by his girlfriend outside her house, having driven her home following a date. Uh, Godzik had worked for PDM for only three weeks before he disappeared. And in the time he had worked for Gacy, he had informed his family Gacy had, give him, had given him a dig trenches for some kind of tiled crawl spaces. Huh. And he kept asking them to get into his crawl space and keep digging, which was weird. But what they did find was Godzik's car abandoned in the Niles. His parents and older sister Eugenia contacted Gacy about Greg's disappearance. Gacy claimed to the family that Greg had run away from home, telling Gacy beforehand that that was his plan. Furthermore, Gacy claimed to have received a recorded answering mas- machine message from Godzik shortly after the youth had disappeared. Uh-huh. But how conveniently so <laughs> when the Godzik family asked if he could play the back message? Gacy stated he erased it. Yeah, how convenient, huh? Uh, what an awkwinky dink. Oh, I'll say. <laughs> so, a month later, on January 20th, 1977, John Sisk, a 19-year-old acquaintance of John Butkovich, uh, one of Gacy's uh, first victims, uh, disappeared. Sisk was lured to Gacy's house on the pretext of selling his Plymouth satellite to Gacy. He was found strangled, well, he was strangled and found buried in Gacy's crawl space directly above the body of Godzik. A ring worn by Sisk, which bore his initials, was retained in a dresser in Gacy's master bedroom. Now, keep that in mind, folks. Now, additionally, Gacy had also kept Sisk's portable Motorola TV in his bedroom and later sold the youth's car. Um, and then we fast forward to December 11, 1978, and at this point, Gacy has knowingly killed, get this folks, 32 teens and young adults. 32. 32. Holy mother of fuck. That's a lot of fucking people. Yeah, I'll say. That's beyond being a a serial killer is at what, two or three? Two or three. This is... This is 32. This is 32. This is... And that we know of. The num- exactly. Who knows what this number could be. And that's very... That's a very scary thing to ponder. Now, that said, Gacy is at Neeson's Pharmacy in Des Plaines. That's out in the West Suburbs. Uh, while he's at the store, he spots the next victim on his list. Robert He's just Pease. picking them. He's just he's picking, picking them up. Yeah. This is so fucking crazy. Like, no rhyme or reason. That's, that's the that's next victim. Like, what the fuck? I bet she's like, ooh, he looks good. I'm gonna take him home tonight. Got him! Like, uh. <laughs> Surprise, motherfucker. Oh. So, Robert Peast, a 15-year-old sophomore in Maine West High School, worked at the pharmacy store since the previous summer. Five minutes before his shift ended, Elizabeth Peast, Rob's mother, arrived at the store to pick up her son. And get this, Camp, that day was her 48th birthday. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, Mom, Rob said, I'm not done stocking. I'll be a few minutes. Take your, take your time, she said. 
She spoke briefly with Kim Byers, Rob's co-worker and ex-girlfriend, and wandered over the car section. At 8 p.m., Rob bounded up to Kim and asked her how to watch the register. And then he called to his mother, some contractor wants to talk to me about a job, he said, grabbing his parker. Moments later, seeing Kim at the register, Phil Torf, who ran the pharmacy, asked her where Rob was. He's outside talking to the guy who was in there, Kim said, referring to John Wayne Gacy. This is just a really ominous quote uh, uh, coming up. Don't worry, she said offhandedly. He's a big boy. And that would be the last time that Robert Peast would be seen alive. That is sketchy. He He's just going up there and doing that shit. Like, yeah. he's asking to get caught. Yeah, I think I think it's one of those things that he has been killing for such a long time that he feels as if he's invincible. And that maybe, yeah, see that too. maybe where he may have covered his tracks before... He gets sloppy, and this really comes into play later on. Um, yeah. So, oh, do the damn thing. Unfortunately, while after waiting for Rob, Elizabeth reluctantly heads back to their home, where the rest of the family was waiting to celebrate Elizabeth's birthday. Elizabeth insisted that they waited until Rob returns home, but minutes turn into hours, and the family realizes that something is very terribly wrong. Uh, Rob's father, sister, and brother spring out around those planes into the night looking for any sign of the team while Elizabeth manned the phone in hopes that she received any kind of news. But the family came up with nothing and subsequently took their calls to Des Plains Police Department. The police actually get in touch with Gacy, who denied talking to Pice when they visited his home the following evening indicating he had seen two youths working at the pharmacy and that he had asked one of them who he believed was Pice, whether any remodeling materials were were present in the rear of the store. Uh He was adamant, however, that he had not offered Pice a job and promised to come to the station later in the evening to make a statement confirming this, indicating he is unable to do so at the moment as his uncle had just died and passed away. What a coincidence. I actually worked in this business where I was an HR director, and I'm uh-huh. not kidding you. I've never heard so many aunts and uncles dying before and people oh. having to all of a sudden go to their funeral out of nowhere. It's, it's fucking crazy. Well, maybe there is a lot of aunts and uncles. You know how families are. like. That's true, but it was there was a lot. There was like 15 one day, and I was like... Oh, yeah. That- yeah, I was like, hmm... Damn it, I'm trying to... I did already did the... Why don't you just do something like cousin? <laughs> God damn it, not this time. <laughs> but, um, as we were saying earlier, the detectives expected Gacy to arrive at exactly 11 p.m., but they heard nothing. And, again, they heard nothing. Ugh. At 3.20 a.m., Gacy finally arrived at the police department. But by that point, no one was there except the night shift clerk who suggested Gacy to come later on in the day. Hmm. Curiously, Gacy was covered in mud, claiming he had been involved in a car accident. So Des Plaines police were convinced that something was up with Gacy, that he was behind Pete's disappearance. They do some checking in Gacy's background, and what do you know, they end up discovering that he served a prison sentence in Iowa for the sodomy of a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old boy. With that knowledge, Terry Sullivan, the Cook County State Prosecutor, 
approved the search warrant to the Gacy's house. And it's there that the detectives find some very interesting items that range from suspicious to outright macabre. A 1975 high school class ring engraved with the initials J.A.S., which, as we talked about earlier, was John Sisk. Handcuffs, various driver license, a 2x4 with holes drilled in the ends, books on homosexuality and sex between uh, kids and adults, a sex toy that, uh, how can I put this according to the records, was covered in defecation. <coughs> do what you want to do with that info, folks. Oh, God. Male clothing that was deemed too small for Gacy, a 6mm uh, Brevirata pistol, and more importantly, a photo receipt from the pharmacy where Peace worked. The police decided to confiscate Gacy's Oldsmobile along with other PDM vehicles and assigned two two-man surveillance teams to follow Gacy while they continued their investigation uh, Gacy concerning uh, the disappearance. Now, Terry Sullivan, the prosecutor who we mentioned earlier, had wrote a book on this ordeal, a book that we read in part of the research for this episode. And one of the most fascinating parts of this memoir to me, Cam, is this two two-man surveillance teams who covered Gacy's tracks for 24 hours nonstop. Just like, wow. That's uh, the way you got to do it if you want to get the guy. Yeah. Now, That's how you gotta do it. Yeah. Now, one of the downsides of doing surveillance is, of course, the stakeout. Now, imagine you're tired, running on little to no sleep. You're in a cramped, raggedy-ass car with a busted radio. The only entertainment you have is one of those janky-ass electric football games they used to sell for like three ninety-nine <laughs> in Walgreens. And oh, it's the middle of December in Chicago, and that's what these policemen were facing. The mundane, non-relating decorum of stakeout is just brilliantly described in this book. And there's this like antidote that really stuck out to me. And on this occasion, the policemen are playing their game. It's like four in the morning. And, Gabe, and Sullivan states in the book, the surveillance policemen felt like the electronic football games were not only the best way of alleviating boredom, but they were the sole means of preserving their sanity to the point that the policemen were so caught up in one such game they didn't notice that a man had approached their car in the darkness. He tapped on the window. He said, are you guys about ready? I'm leaving. The guy was John Wayne Gacy. Get the fuck out. Like <laughs> their own cell phones back in the day. Yeah. Holy shit. Ugh. This John Wayne Gacy knew the whole time. Yeah. So while the surveillance is happening, slowly but surely, the pieces start coming together. As the police start connecting Gacy with the disappearance of his previous victims, uh, Gregory Gosdick, uh, uh, John Botakovich, and the man with the JAS initials on the ring. John, I'm sorry, how'd you say John name? Sisk. Sisk. John yeah. Sisk. It's a very hard name to pronounce, guys. Yeah. they Chicago. It's Chicago That's for you. Fault. These are Chicago names. Bokovich. Sisk's case is even more peculiar than the others in that. On top of the ring, his television and car were reported missing. Uh And the car in question would be later revealed to be one of Michael Rossi's, Gacy's associate, and later to be revealed accomplice and lover. Now, that's interesting because maybe they had this weird, crazy... 
sexual fantasy. I don't know. Uh huh. And who who could know? Yeah. But the television uh, would later be found to have the same serial numbers as the one seen in the first search warrant. So police are starting to get the perspective of, oh shit. We might have something on our fucking hands now. Yeah. And so we go to December 16th. And this is the fifth day in investigation. And Gacy is becoming real close with the surveillance detectives. Regularly inviting them to join him for meals and various restaurants. And occasionally for drinks and bars or his home. And according to one of the detectives, he recalled a noticeable foul stench emanating during one visit to his house. Where he later related to the smell found at, a Cook, at the Cook County morgue, uh, somewhere Ugh. in the house where the heating duct was located. Ew. Yo, boy. I hope you haven't ate. Well, you have, well, I hope you're not hungry. I was, like, nomming hard earlier. Oh, oh, my gosh. I don't know what I was fucking thinking. Gacy would repeatedly deny to the, the policeman that he had anything to do with Peace's disappearance, while accusing the officers of harassing him because of his political connections or because of his use of recreational drugs. Knowing these officers were unlikely to arrest him on anything trivial, he openly taunted him by flouting traffic laws and succeeded in losing his pursuers on more than one occasion. And it's on one such instance where he has breakfast with one of the teams. And Gacy gives him the Cliff Notes version of his life, from his business, his marriages, his activities as a registered clown. But it's at one point during this conversation that Gacy remarked to one of the detectives, you know... Clowns can get away with murder, and you just get this this feeling that it's just a a cat and mouse game that's just very apparent, and it's just a really unique one in that. But while this is happening, more damning evidence continues to pile up in favor of the investigators. Now we mentioned a few minutes back that police had previously sequestered receipt logs from Neeson Pharmacy, and they were able to extract the photo log. It was a single sheet form supplied by a Wisconsin farm called Sundance Photo. In the lab that uh, the, the pharmacy used for processing, the sheet listed by serial number and customers' names that Neeson's had sent between December 2nd and December 14th. Now, mind you, Rob Peace disappeared on December 11th. There are about 30 entries. The serial number of the receipt found in Gacy's trash was 36119. The second to last entry in the log was dated December 11, and that serial number, 36119. So, the customer's name, Kim Byers, Rob Peace's co-worker and ex-girlfriend. She explains to, to the police that the photo receipt was hers, and she put on Peace Parker because she was cold, and with a little embarrassment, she called the cops that she had put the receipt in the pocket of the jacket, because she hoped that Rob would notice it and ask her about it. And right there, police have absolute confirmation that Rob Peace had been in John Gacy's house. And armed with that fact, Sullivan works right away on getting a second search warrant that was filed to examine Gacy's house. Dun, dun, dun. <sighs> However, the investigation was in a racing, pretty much a race against time. On Wednesday, December 20th, Gacy's lawyers have given notice that they were filing an injunction against against the DePlanes Police Department, part of a $750,000 lawsuit. That bank! Right? Like, oh shit. 
Sorry, my phone's freaking out real fast. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay, found it. So anyways, like we were stating earlier, he was filing an injunction for $750,000. It was Gacy named City of Des Plaines and several police officers complained that the police have deprived him of his rights by holding him captive in the police station the previous Wednesday and not allowing him to talk to his attorney for five hours. Wow. He also complained about the search of his house, the seizure of his vehicles, and the presence of surveillance units, which were harassing him, detaining his friends, and ruining his business dealings. As a result of all of this, the complaint said, Gacy had suffered severe mental anguish and the loss of use of his personal property, loss of reputation, expenditures of money, and deprivation of his liberty. His right to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures and his right to privacy. The suit asked for temporary restraining order, putting to an end of this police harassment. And the hearing was scheduled in two days. So in other words... The investigator, excuse me. The investigators were in a shit or get off the pot situation. My mom always says that to me. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I complain, she goes, "Just are you shit or get off it?" But anyways, the police had to wrap this up motherfucking case, and they had to wrap it up pronto. And finally, the pivotal break on this case happens on the same day that the lawsuit was filed. Because the, the investigators uh, brought in Rossi and another Gacy associate, David Cram, for questioning. Uh, Rossi agreed to be interviewed in relation to his possible links with John Sisk, who, of course, his vehicle was pointed out. Uh, he, we pointed out investigators had established that he drove, as well as the disappearance of Peace. When Detective Joseph Konzenak asked where he believed Gacy had placed Peace's body, Rossi broke down and replied in the crawl space. He could have put him in a crawl space. How does Rossi know? How does about he this know? crawl space? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. But anyways, a polygraph test conducted upon the youth showed his responses to questions to be inconclusive. But upon his agreeing to subsequent visual tests in which a map of Cook excuse me, in which a map of Cook County was divided into twelve grid sections, number one to twelve, with Gacy's home marked in the fourth grid section. Kozanak, uh buried the grid number of, or noted an extreme response in Rossi's blood pressure when he asked, is the body of Robert Peace buried in grid number four? Upon hearing the question, uh, Rossi refused to continue the polygraph. Yeah, he gets it. He did that shit. I know. That's, that's weird. Although he did discuss further his digging Gacy's insistence that he does not deviate from where he was instructed to dig, which, why would his first guest be checked the crawl space? Yeah, I mean, they, that's the thing, that they noted that they smelt like there was a, just a foul stench going from the heating duct, so they have, a, they have a pretty much good idea about, okay, something is up, if we're gonna have to search somewhere, it's gotta be there, but Rossi just pretty well, the much... Wife, the wife and kids had to smell it at They some had point. to, they had to. I mean, this is... He if they walk into bodies. the room and they can smell it, they know something's... I mean, I don't know what a dead body smells like, but I know what 
fucking shit smells like, so... Yeah, well, let me tell you this. Uh, I've had the unfortunate experience of uh, knowing what a dead body smells like. Uh, I want to say about seven years ago. Oh, my God, to this very day. Uh, my neighbor was uh, killed, um, stabbed. And while we were waiting for, while they were waiting for the ambulance to come, you know, we saw he's right across the street from my house. And he is just lying there. And it's just blood out there. And to this day, I can never, I was standing out there with me, my older brother, and my mom. And I was just like, uh, I gotta leave this fucking city. Like, I could huh. not. That. I cannot stay here in six months mu- and three months later I got accepted to UIS so Woo-hoo. yeah I mean I've been in a, like a funeral home corners mortuary mm-hmm. thing but like it's more of that smell of um, yeah it, it stays with you it's, it's something that you never you never want to you, you, you never want to relive that Nothing crazy. So, for his part, David Cram had said after the first police search, Gacy had turned pale upon noticing a clot of mud on his carpet, which he suspected had come from his crawl space. Cram then said Gacy had grabbed a flashlight and immediately entered the crawl space to look for evidence of digging. When asked whether he had been to the crawl space, Cram replied he had been asked by Gacy to spread lime down there and also dug trenches upon Gacy's behest with the explanation they were doing plumbing. And Cram said these trenches were two feet wide, six feet long, and two feet deep. That's the size of fucking graves. God. Hmm. That's an odd coincidence. And pipes, apparently, for plumbing. Yeah. So later that night into the following day, Gacy is uh, waiting uh, to... To re get in touch with Cram and Rossi, but assuming that they're uh, talking to police, he he's starting to realize that the gig is up. So he drives to his lawyer's office to park in Park Ridge to attend a pre-scheduled meeting that he arranged with them. It was risen to discuss the progress of his civil suit, but upon his arrival, Gacy, haggard from the continuous surveillance and investigation, picked up a copy of the Daily Herald from his lawyer's desk, pointed to the front page article covering the disappearance of Peace and told his lawyers, the boy is dead. He is in a river. So over the following hours, Gacy gives this rambling confession that he ran in, into the early hours of the following morning. He began by informing uh, both of his attorneys that he had been, quote unquote, the judge, the jury, and executioner of many, many people, most of whom he stated were buried in his crawl space, and others in the dust plains of the river. Some victims he referred to by name, most he dismissed as male prostitutes, hustlers, and liars whom he would give the rope trick. On other occasions, he stated that he would wake up to find dead, strangled kids on his floor with their hands cuffed behind their back as it pertained to Robert Peace. Gacy stated that Peace was, as, as he placed a tourniquet around his neck, that Peace was crying scared. Now, as this is happening, everything everything is coming just all to fruition with the investigation because the second search warrant is all but approved and police gathered to the Gacy residence looking for that crawl space. And what do they find? And man, I hope that you guys have not eaten before you're listening to this. 
I really apologize in advance, but hey, this is Kellen Moore Burden Camp. You know what you're getting into. They found numerous decomposing remains. Some of them were in gunk. And if it wasn't official before, ball game for John Wayne Gacy. Because he was arrested for the disappearance and murder of Robert Peace on December 22nd, 1978. And as he did with the lawyers, he confessed to police virtually everything. All the victims willingly came to his house and all were killed there. By now, he said, he had lost count of the number of buried in the crawl space. The last five victims that were all killed in 1978, he had dropped in the Des Plaines River, southwest of Chicago, off the bridge on Interstate Highway 55. One he thought might have landed on a barge. All but one he killed by looping a rope around their necks, knotting it twice, then tightening it like a tourniquet with a stick. A couple of times, he said, he had tightened a knot more than once when the victim showed sign of reviving. On two or three occasions, he said, he had doubles. Nights where he killed two people, as we alluded to earlier in the uh, episode. And in the crawl space, he either soaked the bodies with acid or put lime on them and buried them under a, a foot of earth. Like, this is just so, just so downtrodden and sick. It's fucked up, dude. Yeah. So, further discussing peace, Gacy said, according to Sullivan's memoirs, didn't know what awaited him in Gacy's house, but he wanted to make easy money. He had ran up to Gacy's vehicle asking about a summer job. The boy said he would do almost anything for money, but he lied, Gacy said ominously. Later at the house, boy, the uh, Peace had his hand on the doorknob when he told Gacy, Gee, I thought you were going to kill me, and... Gacy told the officers that he knew right then that Peace was not going to leave that house. Rob at, uh, Peace had asked why Gacy was putting the rope around his neck. Why, he asked, the contractor said rhetorically. He was stupid, that's why, he said. Gacy related how he was interrupted by the phone while strangling the rope, then recounted the events of the evening he had spoken of in a statement, his visit to his Northwest Hospital and to his aunt's house when his uncle had passed. So after sleeping, Jesus. yeah, just, yeah, I mean, just so emotionless. I mean, it it's very, Nothing whatsoever, very, very, just very unfathomable. I mean, I just had a loss of words just trying to now analyze it. So and mind you, after sleeping in bed next to the corpse all night, Casey got up at 6 a.m. and moved it into the attic where it was when the police had visited him the first time. Wow. He had just brought the body downstairs when he heard the bell ring at the rear door. He left the body in the hallway while he went to the door. It was Rossi, ready to go Christmas tree shopping. Casey said he couldn't go, and Rossi left. Casey moved his car to the back door, wrapped the body in, the, in an orange blanket, and put it in the trunk. Casey said he, could, he recalled it being... Higher than a kite. Wow. He drove down, uh, drove south on Tri-State Tollway I-55 or Interstate 55. Reaching the bridge over the De Plains River, he saw a barge passing underneath and continued on. He turned around and came back in the northbound lanes. He began hearing reports on his CB radio of an unmarked smoky uh, patrol car on the bridge. So he doubled back again. He made several passes 
before concluding that the CB reports were probably referring to him, he stopped and dumped the body over the rail. <laughs> oh, so between December 22nd and December 19th, December 29th, 27 bodies were recovered from Gacy's property. 26 of it was found buried in the crawl space, with one additional victim, Butkovich, being found buried beneath the concrete floor of the garage, precisely where Gacy had marked the youth's grave with a can of spray paint. Ugh. Ugh. What a dick. What a fucking douche. I'm probably being a murderer. A little bit better. Mass murderer. Uh, following a temporary postponement of the excava- uh, excavations imposed in January 1979 because of severe uh, winter snowfall in Chicago, uh, excavations of the property resumed in March, despite Gacy's insistence to es- uh, investigators that all the victims' bodies buried upon his property had been found, which it was. Gacy was finally brought to trial a- over a year later, on February 6, 1980. His lawyers chose to have Gacy plead not guilty by reason of insanity to the charges against him and produced several psychiatric experts who examined Gacy previously to testify their findings. Three experts appearing for the defense at Gacy's trial testified that they found Gacy to be a paranoid schizophrenic with multiple personality disorder. However, the prosecution star witness new witnesses at that point, Cram and Rossi testified that Gacy knew what he was doing, meticulously planned out these murders, and coordinated the final locations to where these bodies would be rested. For all intents and purposes, this was a slam dunk case because on March 12, 1980, after less than two hours of deliberation, the jury found Gacy guilty of 33 counts of murder and was sentenced to death. Gacy served death row for 14 years until May 9th, May 9th 1994, which we were alive then, so that's kind of cool. Um, he was transferred from the Menard Correctional Center to the Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill, Illinois. And this is where he finally met his maker. For his last meal, Gacy ordered a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken, a dozen fried shrimp, French fries, and a pound of fresh strawberries, along with a diet coke. I like I like how you like every like somebody would get all this shit and think, oh, diet coke is just gonna. <laughs> yeah. Um, can I have a diet coke before I go? I'm watching my weight. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> but that evening, he observed prayer with the Catholic priest before being escorted to the Stateville execution chamber to receive a lethal injection. As a thousand in the hours leading up to Gacy's execution, a crowd estimated to a number over a thousand people gathered outside, and they awaited his execution, the majority of whom were vocally in favor of the execution, as some of those in favor of the execution wore t-shirts mocking Gacy's previously community services as a clown and bearing uh, slogans such as, No Tears for the Clown. And finally, on 12.58 a.m. on May 10th, 1994, after three injected doses, John Wayne Gacy was pronounced dead at the age of 52. His brain was removed as it is currently in the possession of Dr. Helen Morrison, a witness for the defense of Gacy's trial, who later interviewed Gacy and other serial killers in an attempt to isolate common personality traits of violent sociopaths. And there, uh, ladies and gentlemen... 
It's the story of John Wayne Gacy. Maybe that's where JFK's brain is. Oh, boy. Oh, well, what's left of it? Oh. <laughs> that's, that, yeah. Oh, man. I just, I, I have so much, so many questions about John Wayne Gacy. I understand, you know, we didn't even get into detail about his childhood and why and how he became who he was today. Yeah. But, dude. What the fuck? I mean, and, and why might as well just, you know, since you opened Pandora's box, like we said in the first episode, he was introduced to to sex at a very, very, very young age, between six and ten. And this wasn't through his own doing. So that had to play. It had to play, I, I feel, as much as a role as any, any in how he his mentality was as an adult. That it's okay to have sex with little kids. Yes, as fucked up as that is. There's just so many different, and there's so many different standpoints. There's people that fully believe he got what he got, and mm-hmm. personally, my perspective, I think he should have done everything that happened to him. Yeah. He killed 33 people thus far, um, with or without an accomplice. He was doing it from the beginning. Um but there are some people out there that say the reason he is the way he is is because of his, you know, what happened in his life, which some people feel for him. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, to each its own. But yeah, and it's a very go. and I it's would a, love to experiment on his brain, though. Yeah, and like I said, it's a very it's a very valid argument. Um, but then again, I mean, this is thirty three that we know of. Who knows? Yeah. There could have been there could have been countless more. He could have doubled that murder, right? Murder count, for all Except we know. All fucking Pollocks. Those last names are insane. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. And if before anybody gets mad, I'm like super Polish, so that's why I say that. Yeah, she is. I, I don't know. But. <laughs> so we just we, we just uh you just touched on it about a couple of minutes ago that there's a long held rumor in any window that Gacy didn't act alone. Now, obviously he had associates in Cram and Rossi that uh, helped either unknowingly or knowingly who will ever know uh, in terms of uh, doing the, the crawl space, what have you. But an investigation by Chicago attorneys in 2012 revealed some receipts that showed that Gacy was in Pittsburgh in September 1977, around the same time that three men disappeared. And those three men were later to be found in the crawl space. So, I mean, the question... Was that in... Did they have an exact, like, date when these kids disappeared? Um, not to my knowledge, but, I mean... It 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 really serves like it, it was a very small win, uh, window that Gacy had to have had you know uh, found his victims at the time like he was it in. Seems sick- like he just picked people off the street, you know. Like uh-huh. Maybe what if they misidentified? So, I don't know. Yeah. He's here. Yeah. So I'm just, no. And and like I said, and on that note, um, guys, this has been. Wow, this is this is two episodes, and it, 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 it I just, feel like it, I'm just talking out of my butt right now. Please don't ever think. Never mind. I'm not going to say that out loud. Uh, I was just sounding like a dick, but 
it's Sweden not like you kill 33 people. Their own type of people. Yeah. Um, that should be fascinating to actually um, pick at their brain. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and I think, I guess my last thoughts on it is just like, it's very, oh, I thought that was a, you know, it just reminded me something on um, something with Beauty and the Beast, but uh, it reminded me. I mean, well, oh boy, lost my track. Okay, there we go. Um, how he was able to be a chameleon and how he was able to ingrain in society. It was just like, and it wasn't as if he was just a regular Joe Schmo. He was a very outgoing, a life of the party, if you will, just a pillar of the community. Chameleon. Yeah. And And those are the most dangerous people. Exactly. It's the ones that you never expect. Would you consider them the smartest? We don't know. We don't know. There's different levels of being smart, and a chameleon is one of those levels. Yeah. And on that note, guys, uh, we thank you so much. If you guys are still with us, more kudos to you. You guys are fucking fucking awesome. You, You guys rock. Yeah, please hit us up on our social media. Um, I'm Instacam six three zero. I think that's my Twitter too, and my Instagram. That's my Instagram for sure. But we're also on there as Killinois Podcast on Instagram. So we'd love to hear your stories. And if you want to email us, we're at Gmail. So sweet. Yeah, and you can also follow me at uh, Birdman for America on Twitter. You can follow me on Birds Your Enthusiasm on Instagram. And of course, as Cam has said, you can also find us on Instagram and Facebook of Killinois with Bird and Cam. And again, we thank Oh you. shit. My Twitter isn't Instacam, it's I like stuff. Uh six thirty. So uh oh. that's me. <laughs> Boy. So again Peace we out, Girl Scouts. Thank you and Boy Scouts too. Come on, guys. Come on, Cam. We'll be back later. This is Kill Noise with Bird and Cam.